What is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or the staff? Is the church the music? The tradition? Or the ministries? These are all good things, but they are not the church. Take them away, and the church is still here. Why? Because you are still here. The church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan to plug into God at a weekend service, to charge up in a small group community, to live out using your gifts and passions, and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ. When you and I live like this, all the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it. The world needs it. And we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you. Amen. Good morning, church. Uh, we are in a series on the topic of the church and, and what is the purpose of the church and what is the importance of the church. And that's my prayer for you as your pastor is that um, we would understand that the church is not necessarily a building, but it's a movement. And that's what we've been talking about lately. It's not a location. It's actually a movement of hearts and lives that have been changed through the person of Jesus Christ. And um, let me just give you a couple definitions here that I found that I just really appreciated that a couple churches have kind of defined what the church is. Mark Driscoll, pastor at uh, Mars Hill Church in Seattle, I appreciate this definition that they came up with with the church. They said, the local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and are scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. I like that. Another church, Village Church in Dallas, Texas, defines the church this way. The church is not an institution for perfect people. Okay, I'm just going to help you guys out a little bit there. Okay, that was a good spot for an amen. Okay. The church is not an institution for perfect people. It is a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, a nursery for God's sweet children to be nurtured and to grow strong. It's the fold of Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. The church is the dearest place 
on earth. And so I just think those are some great uh, definitions. We, we, we've come to understand the church is not just two people sitting on a beach playing a guitar and, and reading the Bible. That, that, that's not the church. The church is not someone that can say, well, um, I don't like the church or how it's organized, so I'm just going to have church at home by myself or with someone else. That's not the church. The New Testament is our example here. It's where believers met together in Christ's name. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They sat under the apostles' teaching, which later were organized under the servanthood of deacons and leaders of pastors and elders and overseers, etc. And there was an issue that happened in one letter that we read in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, where believers stop meeting together. And there was a, a mandate that was given to these believers to, to, to not give up meeting together. And, and we can see that in Hebrews 10, 25, where the Hebrew writer says, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And we see that within the body of Christ, there's this fellowship that we have with one another. And we can only do that when we're in community with one another. I want you to notice the warning here that the Hebrew writer gives us. He says, do not neglect meeting together. It became a habit with some that they stopped getting together with other believers in Jesus Christ. It, it stopped becoming a priority. Now, now this, is, this isn't a problem that was just focused to that day and age. How many know that is still an issue for this day and age? That, that it, it's, it's a problem that's not just for, for today, but it's happened over the centuries where people would just stop seeing the importance of the body of Christ and they stop meeting together because other things take priority. And, and I'm afraid that the church can be can become something that we put on the back burner. It's, if something else comes up, church can be put to the, to the side. And I think we have a, a wrong concept about church if, if that's where it comes to. If, if we don't see church as, as a priority, I think we've missed the understanding here. And I can remember as a child growing up, you had to pull my teeth to go to church on Sunday morning because it was the most excruciating 58 minutes of my week. Some of you remember that, right? You come and you just do it out of a sense of what? Obligation, guilt, right? If you didn't go to church, you were made to feel guilty, right? Because you were supposed to do that. And so you were out of obligation or out of guilt, you went. And, and we did the same thing. I, I remember asking my mom as a little kid, Mom, why do we go to church? Why? Why do we go? My mom goes, because we're supposed to. That was her, I mean, before we really knew the Lord and had a born-again experience with Christ, that, that was the reason. You just went because it was the right thing to do, right? It, it, it's what we're supposed to do. But here's what changes. Here's what changed for me as a 16-year-old when I became a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. Instead of it coming an obligation and a duty, I wanted to go. Why? Because something changed in my heart. Church was not just something I went to out of a sense of duty or guilt. Something about church now became intrinsic in me that I wanted to get together with other people who believed the same thing about me, and that we could worship together and learn about Jesus together and have really good fellowship and conversations together, right? It became something more. I, be, I began to have my core group of friends were now in the 
youth group. Those were my best friends. We all believed in Jesus Christ and we shared a common bond. And so when we worship together, when we pray together, when we sit under the word together, we allow God to speak to us. And it's through these relationships that we grow. It's through the church we learn to work through our differences and learn to love each other. It's where we learn to submit to each other and and learn what it means to serve one another. This cannot happen outside the body of Christ. And Paul emphasizes this in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 17 and 19. Listen to what he says. He says, And he came, Jesus, to preach peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And what Paul is saying is now you've become fellow saints and brothers and sisters together in the household. You become members in this household of God. And when we come into the family of God through our faith in Jesus Christ, we now become members of the household of God. When we understand what the church is, that it's a movement and not a place, when I put my trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior, what's next? Well, the Bible instructs us that we are instructed to become part of a covenant community of believers. This should be the most important priority in your life now. Okay, just checking. All right. Just helping you guys out. I know it's a little rainy. It's a little misty out. A little 830 waking you guys up. Okay. So the question is, what's next? Because for so many people, they, 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 I mean, I just basically thought when I was younger, you just went to church once a week, you put in your 58 minutes, and that was really it, right? And, and, and I, I really didn't understand what the purpose of the church was. I didn't understand that the church was a covenant community of believers until I became a follower of Jesus Christ and got involved in a, a local body of believers. I didn't really understand that. So I want us to move away from the idea that I come to church And is Sunday it? Is that all that there is? I want us to see that we become part of a covenant community of believers that care and serve one another. So what's the emblem that makes this a community of God? What's the emblem that makes living word a community of God? And and, and we need to understand that for, for us, when we come into this family of God, We come, all of us, to a place where we understand we need to be forgiven. That all of us have fallen short of God's perfection and God's glory. Which means we live for our glory and and, and for ourselves alone. And we didn't recognize what God did for us. We didn't recognize that Jesus died for us and for our sins. And so what begins to happen is God establishes a covenantal relationship with us through Jesus Christ, through his perfect sacrifice. People, that has to be the foundation of the body of Christ. That every single one of us have to come through the door of the cross of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us has to realize that what binds us together is not a building that we come to. What binds us together is not that we may live in this local community of Ontario or Williamson or Walworth or, or Marion, wherever, or Sotus, wherever you may live. That's not what binds us together. 
What has to bind us together is the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for you and I on that cross 2,000 years ago. All right, I'm going to keep doing this until you guys go, all right, okay. And then I may pull this one out if you're not really Jesus rocks. Okay, all right. That's what binds us together. What binds us together is Jesus' sacrifice. That's what holds the body of Christ together. We all enter in through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what makes the body of Christ the body of Christ is that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful that God could care less about your background? God could care less about your economic background, your social status, your ethnic background, whatever whatever you may have been brought up, whatever your religious background is, God doesn't care. What binds us together here is that every single one of us, we're sinners, we've fallen short of God's glory, Glory, every single one of us realized that we needed forgiveness. And when we came to Christ and we asked for forgiveness and we fell upon his mercy and grace, that's when God saves us through his son. And that's when God filled us with his Holy Spirit. And then we enter into this new family. For me as a 16-year-old teenager, that was so vivid and so real to me that now I became part of this family of other people that believe the same thing I did. And that's what bound us together. That's what, that, that's what drew us together. That's what caused us to have a commonality that was different from the things in the world that I never understood before. So we all needed forgiven. So God, what he does is he establishes this covenantal relationship with us through Jesus Christ and through his perfect sacrifice. And what's wonderful about this, it's not based in my merit, It's not based on my performance. It's not contractual. God doesn't say, I will give you so many chances and then you're done. When God speaks covenantal language to us, it's not contractual. And I want to give you an example of this because this is so important because I think we need, I think for many of you, 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 you've, you've got this in the back of your mind because you've been so guilted into going to church, and some of you from certain religious backgrounds, church was all about guilt. I remember talking to one guy, he's like, well, I see your church is growing, you guys look like you're doing really good. He goes, the reason why our church grows is because our leader makes us feel guilty to come to church. Well, how do you know you can make people feel guilty, but, but is that the way God works? Does God guilt, does Jesus ever guilt us into having a relationship with him? No, he doesn't. How many of you, if you have a relationship with somebody... And you use guilt in that relationship. How do you know that's just a fun relationship to be in? Right? You moms and dad, how many know you, you sometimes guilt your children into doing stuff? Right? But is that, is that and it, it works sometimes. And you, right? And, and so we say, well, you know, with my kids and in my relationship, you know, I just, I just got to say, do you realize how much your mother does for you? Do you realize how much she cares for you? Do you realize how much she prays for you? Amen. Right? That's then my boys are like, oh, all right, mommy, I'm sorry, right? It, it, but how many know you want that to come out of something different than just guilt? You want that to come out of a relationship because they see how much their mother loves them. And the way they respond to that relationship is out of a covenantal relationship that speaks love, that speaks forgiveness, not guilt and condemnation. 
And that's how we're brought into the family of God. We're not brought in by guilt and condemnation and a contractual thing that God signs with us so that we'll obey him. It's interesting. As the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land, Moses spoke these words to Israel, and he was, he was handing his leadership over to, to Joshua. And I love these words in Deuteronomy 31.6. He says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. I love what Paul, he reiterates this in Romans 8, 37 and 39 when he says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What kind of language is God speaking to us? He's speaking covenantal. He's speaking a love language to us that, that, that will enable us to serve him, not out of guilt and condemnation, but we serve him out of what he's done for us out of that covenantal language. It's not just a bunch of rules and regulations. God actually gives himself to us. He binds himself to us through his son where we can actually call him father. The, the Aramaic word there is Abba Father. It's an intimate word. It says that my dad can do anything. My dad is going to be there for me. My dad, listen, your gods may leave you, but not Abba God. Abba God's going to be right there for me. He's a big God. He's never going to leave me or forsake me. Nothing's going to separate me from Abba God. That's what that word means. It's an intimate covenantal language that God will never leave us. It's not just a bunch of rules and regulations. Listen, we don't sign a contract with God. If that were the case, we would all break it consistently, wouldn't we? And become instant failures. But God gives to us, not based on what we bring to the table. Thank God, right? Thank God. It's based on his grace and unconditional love. Follow me here. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Is this contractual language or covenantal? It's covenantal. Can you imagine, just think for a minute, if you, if you went to a wedding ceremony and you had the bride and groom standing there and they had a contract that they had to sign. And, and so at the wedding ceremony, you're sitting there, because normally you're at a wedding ceremony, and you, you hear covenantal language, that you love each other, that for better or for worse, for richer or for poor. It's just, it's, it, how many just love going to weddings? I cry at weddings, and I, and I do weddings, and I'm crying at weddings, and, I'm, and I perform the weddings. And I'm crying, because it's great. You see two people that are in love. It's very covenantal. Their, their relationship is based on that love and, and the love that Christ has for both of them. And it's very wonderful. But can you imagine if they had a contract and they're standing there and say, okay, if I bring home the money, uh, would you do the dishes? Okay, I can, I can deal with that. Okay, if, if, um, if, if you, only if you do the oil changes on the car. Okay, I can live with that. Now, if you, if you do the clothes, I'll, if you wash the clothes, I'll do the, the, the ironing. Can you deal? Okay, I can do it. Um, and we, how many of you, if you sat, I'd be like, where's my toaster? I'm out of here. I'm like, get me out of this place. It, it, would, it would be dead and lifeless, wouldn't it? 
There would be nothing that would propel us forward because it would be an obligation. Now, let, let me bring this to where we all live. Can you imagine if this is the way God dealt with us? You see, the reason why we struggle in our marriages and why we struggle in church is simple. We haven't grasped, we haven't grasped the idea of what covenantal relationship means. Some of you here, you're just so bound up with so much guilt that if I don't do this and if I, if I don't do that, then my relationship with God isn't all that it is. And God will always be disappointed with me. We have to understand that God, listen, if, if, if grace does not precede obedience, if you're taking notes, write that down because I don't come up with too many of these, okay, right? Grace, listen, grace must precede obedience. We, we, we have to understand that everything God gives us is by his grace. And, and guess what? Uh, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, you're part of this common grace that God gives us. Gives you the ability to work. Gives you the ability to produce wealth. Give, gives you tons of... This is God's common grace that he gives to all of us. But when it comes to salvation, we understand that we don't deserve it or we don't earn it at all. And if I don't get grace... Then, then all my relationship with God is going to be is this contractual thing where I put in my work, I punch the time clock, and I do for God what I think I should do, and then God should do for me what I think he should do. And a lot of people just go to church or do their obligation out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of what God has done for them. It's no different in our married relationships if it's not based on covenantal languages, then guess what's going to happen to that relationship? It will become dead and lifeless, right? There's going to be no joy. There's going to be no servanthood in that relationship. And so like a marriage and our relationship with Christ, this is what happens. We start off right many times. In marriage, we're lovey, we're dovey, and then it morphs into this lifeless relationship because we stop giving ourselves to that relationship. Grace has to precede obedience. And so for me being part of a covenant family and what I do within the church, I have to realize that everything is based on God's grace. And the way I serve the Lord now is not out of a sense of obligation or duty. It's out of response of God's love and his grace that he poured out on me. Then it becomes a, 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 a life relationship that is beautiful, that, that I want to serve the Lord, not because it's this contract that I signed. I want to serve the Lord. I want to obey the Lord. I want to grow in my holiness, not because it's a contract, but it's because out of response for the great sacrifice of love that Jesus did for me. You see, then we're going to start serving each other within the body of Christ, not out of a sense of duty or obligation, but out of a sense of love and obedience for what Christ has done for us. Okay, so, so this is no different with the church. 
The church can become lifeless when we stop giving of ourselves and we stop living out these covenantal relationships. Do you realize that 59 times in the Bible, it uses the word one another? It uses the word one another. And and here, I want you to understand this because this is what makes the church great. This is what makes the church come alive. 59 times in the Bible, the, the word one another is used. We are told to love one another. We are told to build up one another. We are told to correct one another. We are told do not slander one another. We are told to help one another. We are told to be concerned for one another. We're told to instruct one another, confess one another, be patient with one another. Now, how can we do these things Unless we are in a fellowship with one another, unless we are in covenantal relationships with one another, how can we do these things? And and to me, uh, this word one another can only happen when we are in community with one another. And I think what happens within the church, when we see the church as a place and not a movement, is we come to church right? We come to this place on Sunday morning and, and we give our time and then we leave and we, we go about our, our lives and our own individual lives without really developing a covenant community with one another. But that's how the church must propel. That's how we must be if we're truly going to grow as the body of Christ. I want you to notice all these things, the one another's are all covenantal language, So my question to you is, what does the local covenantal community look like? How should it look? If we understand that we are all together through Christ Jesus, that it's through our faith in Christ, the only way we can be saved is through Christ Jesus, through his blood. If we understand that's our entrance into the family of God, it does it stop there. So how does that covenant community play out so that we all continue to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ, so that we grow closer to one another and closer to Jesus Christ. So here's here's what I want to stress. Here's why I feel membership is so important in the body of Christ. Now, Now, let me explain something here. There's no specific text in the Bible that says you must join a church, but I believe there's overwhelming biblical precedence for believers committing to a local body. Now, now follow me. Follow me, because I know that there's some that say, we don't believe in membership, blah, 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 because this is... Here's why I believe this membership or, or committing yourself to a local body is so vital. Because this is the way that you grow in your walk with the Lord. We are a very individualistic society. And the problem is the more, the more we become individuals, the less we will stop growing in the Lord. It, it just happens that way because nobody wants anyone getting into their business, right? We just want to live our lives. We don't want to be accountable. But I believe there's overwhelming biblical presence for believers committing to a local body. Let me give you some passages here that I believe support a commitment to a local body. Now, this is probably going to be the weirdest scripture that you have ever heard on why you should be part of a membership of a local body. Are you ready? Hebrews 13, 17 to 18. Are you ready? 
Here we go. This is going to be insane because some of you are going to be like, what? But just follow me here. Hebrews 13, 17, 18 says, obey your spiritual leaders. <laughs> I just want to. Okay. <laughs> obey your spiritual leaders. Do what they say. This is going to hurt you, right? I know some of you are like, I, Pastor, this is, this is bothering me already. But it's in the Bible. So don't let, let me go all Bible on you, okay? Their work is to watch over your souls. Amen. Right? They are accountable to God. Amen. Give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. That they would certainly not be for your benefit. And I love verse 18. It says, pray for us, for our conscience is clear, and we want to live honorably in everything we do. Now, let, let me say this. You're saying, Pastor, what does this have to do with membership? This is a difficult at first read for this reason. God has set up a form of accountability here. We don't automatically think that when we join a church or become part of a covenant community of believers, we don't think about submission. We think, well, I like the preaching. I like the preaching. I like the preaching. Okay. We think I like the worship or I like the youth ministry or I like the kids stuff or I like the style of the church. We're not automatically thinking Submission when I join a church. How many of you, when you came and you want to be part of Living Word and the membership here at Living Word, you're thinking, I want to come because I want to submit to the leadership? Not many of you. I, I don't, okay, four of you. Okay, good. Amen. I like that. But not many of us would think because we thought, well, I like it here. I like what's going on. I like the style. But we're not thinking automatically submission. So, why are we to submit to a spiritual leader? Are we to submit to any spiritual leader? No. That's not what it's saying. The implication here is to a local body with a shepherd. Notice what the writer says. The one who watches over your soul. It's personal. It's relational. Now, before we go down the road, I know some of you are going to say, wouldn't this create a dictator? No, for this reason. Leaders over a church have to answer to God. And if you think that doesn't scare me, think again. That I'm accountable to four to 500 people and God has given me the spiritual care of this local assembly. And if you don't think that scares me, think again. That is why the greatest thing you can ever do for me as the pastor of this church is to pray for me because I will give an account before God on how I handle his people and you are his people. I am the under shepherd of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. And I need wisdom and clarity to handle things. Um, Kathleen and I, we're, we're burdened over your pain and your struggles and at times it's tremendous burden that without Christ's help I couldn't handle. So pray for me and pray that God would lead me and pray that I would act honorably in all things. Pray for the leaders in our church, and the deacons and the elders that lead us. You see, I want you to see that this submission that the Hebrew writer is saying is the only way that this can happen it is in a local body of believers. 
There's an accountability that happens when you join a local body of believers. What you're ultimately saying is, God, I'm submitting myself under spiritual authority. I'm submitting myself under, uh, under people that you have raised up to lead this uh, a local uh, uh, assembly. Uh, uh, Lord, I, I'm submitting myself to that. And, and I'm opening myself up for correction. I'm, I'm opening myself up for you to use me. That, that I'm not somebody that just slips in and, and slips out. But Lord, I want to take that next step to be involved. And so as we see this in Hebrews, he's obviously saying that this cannot happen unless you're part of a local assembly. You see, I want you to see that even this language that we see about submitting is still covenantal. It's relationship. It's we're serving each other. And if there is abuse within a local assembly, maybe you've been at a church where there's abuse, where there's clear grounds to address that. And it's not a blind following. There has to be structure or there would be chaos. You see, that's what I love about our covenantal classes, our membership classes, is that you get to uh, see what living word is about, what we believe, what are the core values of our church, where do you fit in, where, where would your spiritual gifts fit in. You're able to assess what your spiritual gifts are and how you can use them for the building up of the body of Christ. You can ask questions, you can meet other people, you're part of a, of a small group. You see, it's an accountability thing. And you're saying, I want to be part of what, of what God is doing at living word. I understand that my membership into the family of God doesn't stop there at my salvation experience with Jesus Christ. I've got to become part of this family of God where God uses your gifts and abilities to help build up his kingdom, where we're allowed to have relationships with one another that we can help each other grow. And if we're not in those relationships with one another, the church becomes a very impersonal place. And it's not all that God would want it to be. What we say around here is, is we're not American Express. Membership does not have its privileges. And, and when we become a member of, of a local body, what we're saying is, I, I lay down my rights as to serve Christ out of what he's done for me. See, it's not contractual. It's covenantal. It's a response by you committing yourself to the local body is out of response for what Christ has done for you and how he committed his life to you. Amen. Okay? So, so these are the, the, the steps. See, see I, I want you to realize, am I out of my response for, for what Christ has done for me? Am I moving to the next level? Am I allowing myself to be open? Am I, am I getting involved in covenantal relationships that are speaking to my heart and my life that is causing me to grow closer to the Lord? See, here's, here's, here's I think, the problem that we have in the American churches today. We're not being driven by grace. We're not being driven by what Christ has done for us. And if we're not being driven by those things, our lives are going to be very self-centered. They're going to be very focused on me. And when you understand what Christ has done for you, how he's given everything for you, my response now is obedience to him. 
My response now is, Lord, what do you want me to do so I can better serve you and serve your church? See, that's my response. But I think what happens is, over time, it becomes about me and what I want. And Jesus, how can you serve me? And how can the church serve me? And that's out of a selfish response and not a true understanding of the gospel message that Jesus gave everything for us. And when I understand what Jesus Christ gave to me, then there's nothing that I shouldn't or want to do for Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to challenge you today. Every single one of you at your seat, you got a response card today. And I want you to pull that out. This is so important. And, and, and I, I want you out of your love for Christ and what he's done for you, I want you to take this next step. There are three things here. You can even add a fourth thing if you want to. Um, That's up to you. But there are three things here that I want to challenge you here today. Some of you here today, you haven't taken that next step of water baptism. You've never been fully immersed in water. You've come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're like, well... I just don't see water baptism is is important or maybe it's just been off your radar or whatever it is. Let me challenge you. Your response to water baptism is out of your love for what Christ has done for you. And what you're saying to the world is now I identify with Christ through his death and resurrection. And what you're telling the world is I now love Jesus and I follow him. And what you're doing is you're following the example of Christ and what he did for us. Every new believer in the New Testament when they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, was water baptized. It was an outward expression of what Christ did within their hearts. Water baptism is such an important step in your walk with Jesus because that's what brings you entrance into the whole family of God all over the world that you now identify. That's your witness, that's your testimony to the world that you now identify with Jesus Christ. If you've not been water baptized, I want you to check that off. And we're offering water baptism next Sunday night. And I want you to be part of the group that's getting water baptized. You take that step and say, I've not taken that step of water baptism. Listen, I was sprinkled as a baby, but a little dab won't do you. Okay, let, let me just explain. It's, it's okay. I'm not saying that was wrong. I was baptized as a baby. But here's, here's the example in the New Testament. The New Testament is when you have come to a save. I don't even remember it. I was six months old or whatever. I don't even remember getting sprinkled. All right. I don't even remember. All I remember is, is, is I spit up on the pastor. That's all I remember. Right. So I don't remember anything. Um, so my parents told me, but when I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and I, and I came to bow before him as Lord and savior, then I became baptized because it was out of response of my salvation for what Christ did for me. So if you've not done that yet, we do full immersion because we believe that's the biblical example of I've died to myself and I've risen anew with Christ Jesus. If you've never been water baptized, I want you to take that next step. Some of you here today, you've been coming to Living Word for a while, but you haven't taken that next step of membership to commit yourself to the local body of believers here. We're starting a new membership class starting December 1st, Sundays at 10 o'clock. I want you to take that next step and say, you know what? Listen, that doesn't, 
That doesn't obligate you to join the church, but you can be part of these classes so that you can say, you know what? God, I'm going to commit myself to this local body because I want you to use my gifts and talents. I want to be part of what God is doing here. I want to be accountable. I want God for you to use my gifts and my talents. And that would be your next step is is to take membership and be part of this body. It's accountability thing. We're accountable to you and, 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 and you're accountable to us that we can grow and partner together in the growing of God's kingdom. Here's the third one. This is the tough one. Some of you are here today, and, and out of your response for what God has done for you, we must give to the Lord. And, and, and how we practically do that is through financial giving to the Lord. Not only giving of ourselves and our gifts, but it's, 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 it's a stewardship thing. It's my time, it's my talent, it's my treasure. Lord, what am I giving to you out of response of what you've done for me? In fact, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And listen, I I can remember when someone taught me early out of giving. And I know maybe many of you have heard about the tithe principle is 10% of your income. We understand that's an Old Testament principle. I look at the tithe as just training wheels. But I like percentage giving. Lord, you've given so much to me. I I don't give to you out of a sense of obligation or duty. I want to give to you out of what you've done for me. This is my response. Do you think God needs money? No, he's God's. I think he's doing okay. Last I checked, okay? It's your response by giving to the Lord. It's your act of worship that says, God, I love you so much in what you've done for me. I'm going to respond by giving to you. And some of you may have to check that giving. I'm not giving to the Lord like I should. Once again, this is not a guilt trip. This is an obedience thing out of what Christ has done for you. And I can remember as a young teenager when I, when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I'm working at Wendy's flipping hamburgers. And I remember making $30 a week working part-time. And I can remember looking at my check and going, you know what, I made $30, I'm going to give $3 to the Lord. And I can remember just, I remember I found an old check stub in, in the Bible that I, when I was originally saved that I had, there's an old check stub from Wendy's from 1985 in there. And it, on it, it I, I calculated, I calculated what the percentage would be to give to the Lord. And I know that $3 just helped that church out so much, right? It just, they were blessed beyond that, right? No, here it is. It, it was my response to the Lord for what he did for me. I can't help but give to God. God wants you to be a grace giver, not out of obligation or I make you feel guilty as your pastor, but out of a sense of response of what Christ has done for you. That's grace giving. And that's how God wants you to give. In fact, the Bible says he wants you to give hilariously out of a sense of grace For what he's done for you. Every week you set aside what you feel like you need to give to the Lord. And some of you need to sit down as individuals or or with your spouse. And you need to talk about this. How are we responding and giving to the Lord? Are we really giving to the Lord what he wants us to give? Are, Are we giving out of a response of worship or duty or obligation? Or are we giving out of response for what Christ has done for us? Let me tell you, when you give to the Lord... It breaks you of your selfishness. It breaks you of this is mine. And what it does is it allows you to release that 
to the Lord and say, God, everything is yours. And you just desire for me to be a good steward with everything you've given me. Help me to respond to you, not out of a contract, but out of covenantal language that you've spoken to me. Maybe there's a fourth box in there that you say, you know, Pastor, I've been coming to the church for a while. I'm even a member, but I haven't even got involved in a, a small group or really getting to know people. I would say, take the next step. We, we offer so many small groups that you can be a part of, and maybe you need to take that next step. Maybe say, Pastor, I want to open up my home to allow people to come in and have a Bible study. Go for it. Go for it. Maybe some years that I just want to get people together to do something. I just want to do something with other people. Talk to us. That's great. Because what you're saying is, out of response to what Christ has done for me, I want to be part of God's people. And I want God to use me that way out of response for what he's done for me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the card. I want you to put it in your hand. I want you to put your hand on top of it, and we're going to pray. Okay, everybody together. This is our, our response to the message here. You're going to fill this out. You're going to check out, check what thing applies to you. You can leave it at your seat. We've got a basket in the back as you leave, or you can leave it at the information table with Penny. Some of you may want to hang out after the service and just pray with your, you know, pray with your spouse or whatever and really ask God what you need to do or as a family, you do what you got to do with it. But let's pray right now as we just lay our hands on this and ask God to help us in our response to him. Lord, as we um, hold this response card in our hand, we want to thank you first for your love, for your grace that you've bestowed upon us. And because of that, there must be a response, Lord. There must be a response to that grace. How can I hold these gifts within myself if I don't understand what you've done for me? And if I understand what you've done for me and how you responded to me with covenantal language, then our response today is obedience, that we're going to respond by being part of a covenant community. Respond through baptism. Respond through my giving. Respond through my plugging in and connecting with other believers. Lord, let that be our response today. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here as they wrestle with this, that, Lord, you would speak to them not out of a contract, but out of love, that we would respond by your grace. So we thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us. Thank you for everything we, you've given us. It's, it's, it, Lord, we've got to remember it's not the amount we give to you. Every single one of us in this room is blessed. Every single one of us are blessed. It's what we're doing in response to what you've done for us. That's what you require. And so, Lord, help us to respond by grace today. Move us, God to a deeper relationship with you. Thank you for the body of Christ that you died for. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand today and, you know, maybe you need, after we sing this closing song, maybe you need to just take some time to fill this out. Fill it out. Take your time. Leave it at your seat or hand in the back and we'll take it and we'll contact you. God bless you. Thank you for being so responsive to God's word today. God bless you. Let's sing together. Let's rejoice. Amen.
God bless you. Listen, as I, I let you go today, just if any of you need prayer today, um, our prayer partners will be up front, pray with you, whatever you're going with you today. God is good, isn't he? And uh, go in God's grace. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Amen.